Welcome to The Golden Shadow, a podcast about psychology, philosophy, myth, mysticism, and mystery. My name is Arjen Rogerson. And I'm Alyssa Polizzi. Today we are talking about personal myth or mm-hmm. personal narrative or the concept of stories, how one's life is a story, the way that we construct reality and orient our trajectory through the world is in some sense a story but what do we mean by the personal story the personal myth yeah i think we mistakenly believe that the power of narrative is allocated only to our fictions and movies and mythologies right books yeah yeah but the truth is that we're constantly constructing um meaning and understanding and coherence of our life through the power of narrative and story it helps us um kind of weave the patterns of our existence um, to make sense of things that are happening, to integrate people into our lives. They become the characters in our own personal myth. And so this idea really at its core is about um, an an approach to reality. Right, right. Our psychology inherently is structured in the form of a narrative. Mm. The way that we make sense of the information that we encounter throughout our lives it's stored in our minds some sense in a narrative format Mm -hmm. it's how we make sense of things and we do think of stories and narratives as being confined like you said to movies and tv Mm -hmm. and books and video games but why do movies even make sense to us right you know why is it that they have a formula that seems predictable that Mm. seems to work that, that we feel compelled by yeah. why why is it that we can watch pixels on a screen move around mm. and be captured by that and get emotional yeah. and it's not just well that's what a movie is right it's actually no our, our minds the way that we actually create meaning um from everything around us the, even the way that we create meaning from objects yeah like chairs or trees or a dog right in some sense even that has some sort of narrative format yeah, to it absolutely we sort of breathe life and story into these things around us as you're saying like we, we try to make sense of like the dog or the car or the tree and we give names to it we might even give it a background this is the old tree that's been around for hundreds of years and it's wise and this and this and that you know and it's kind mm-hmm. of silly yeah. but what's actually at play here is in some ways, a way for us to translate the the archetypal framework of the mind, um, right. and and all of that's happening through this process of uh, of of narrative and of and of story. Right. Just to illustrate what we mean, we can return back to the idea of the hero's journey we've mm-hmm. talked about several times. Sure. Specifically, episode two, the fool's journey. We got into the notion of the the hero's journey pretty deeply. But the reason the hero's journey is so archetypal, the reason that format is compelling to us is because we actually, in some way, interpret our lives as being this journey, this hero's journey. There is an arc to our lives where we believe that there is some great purpose. Mm -hmm. There's some reason that we do things. There's some reason we suffer. Our suffering has a point. It's because we're trying to achieve something. Um, Our sacrifice has a point. The hero is self-sacrificial. The hero takes risks. Sure. The hero goes out into the world and creates order in the world. He does something. And he he saves. He or she saves the world, and that's compelling to us because it's actually how we construct reality. It's yes. how we make sense of reality. Is that we, in some sense, need to go out to, into the world mm. and do something. Yes, and I think that 
it can be a sort of, um, I don't know, a sort of, of a powerful moment of uh, waking up and realizing that even if you aren't conscious of it, that you are living living some sort of myth, some sort of story, some sort of narrative. And if you start to look back at your experience, you might start to make sense of it. You're like, mm -hmm. that's right. As I moved through school, I was the shy, you know, kind of awkward child. Right. And, and I related my whole existence around this idea and this narrative. And maybe at a certain point there was a challenge to that. And you mm -hmm. stepped up to being more courageous and more open um, and more full of life. And, and that narrative shifted and, and changed and you no longer related to the shy, awkward child. Now you were coming into your own, you were blossoming. Um, so we see that even if we're not cognizant of it, that we find ourselves naturally moving through life uh, through some sort of narrative structure. Right. There's, there's this sort of aspect of time that really plays deeply into narrative. We mm. kind of think of ourselves as sort of being an object in space, but the story has a beginning and an end. Yeah. The story has movement. The yes. story has a phase. We're, right now we're kind of climbing up this arc towards the climax. Maybe we're the, in the abyss right mm. now. Maybe we're at the, the return or the resurrection towards sure. the end. And that's how we make sense of our lives. Mm -hmm. as, as, as you said, thinking about the past, the way that we structure our memories, even there's some notion of, um, I had a moment where I fell. I yeah. had a moment where I descended. Mm. I had a moment where I was in this pit of despair and yeah. I had to climb my way out. And I had to overcome this deep obstacle and find personal strength. Even the way I'm describing this right now, right. it sounds like a story. Right. It's a yeah. story of my life. <laughs> but how, how else could I describe it? Yeah. There's no other way to sort of make sense of my experience than putting it into these words, yes. these metaphors, yes. uh, descending, being in a pit of despair, yeah. darkness, mm. all of these things, these images yeah. are all speaking to the metaphorical way that we actually interact with reality. Yes. And the people in our lives also, they, the people are, are mythological containers mm. and there is people in our lives that we interpret as villains. Sure. There's people that we interpret as allies, mm. as mentors. Yeah. And um, they take on this mythological significance. They embody these archetypes. Yeah. Because that's the only way that we can make sense of reality. Yeah. Yeah. So it, even without your knowledge, this story, this myth is ordering your life. Mm. And the question really is when when you awaken to that reality, how can you step more deeply into that that myth how can you be more present to it and in that way not necessarily trying you know control it and have no flexibility or anything like that but more um realizing truly at the core what, what the major goals of these you know mythic cycles might be and mm -hmm. how you can amplify the process to to gain more uh, power or creativity or connection or whatever it might be. Like what's, what's the current arc? What's the current narrative? And, and that's the other sort of interesting point is there's all of these different narratives that are playing out at the same time. They're all right. sort of nested. Right. Nested narratives. Yeah. Right. Um, t today has a narrative. Today yeah. has an arc. Sure. I, yeah. I have a beginning and end to my day. There is an action associated with my day. There's something I need to get done mm -hmm. usually. And, um, uh, that's only because I have some sort of instinct yeah. of this arc of my day that can I make sense of what's happening right now? Yeah. The fact that we're doing this podcast, this mm -hmm. is one podcast, 
but this podcast has an arc. Yeah. And we're interpreting it as having some sort of energy that we want sure. to cultivate. Yeah. But that podcast is nested within the series of podcasts. Yeah. And the series itself has an arc. And it's yeah. where we're we going with this arc. Um, and we don't know where right. it's going. There's there's sort of this heroic adventure yeah. of what we're setting out to do. Yeah. It, important thing, I think, about um, really riding the wave of any narrative arc is straddling the line between knowing and not knowing or mm. chaos and order and sure. being okay with the uncertainty to a degree that it doesn't overwhelm you. But then knowing that you can have strength and confidence and, you know, will to also shift the tides of the narrative to where you want to go it's that it's that dynamic that tension between you know your ability to shape the future and that which is coming your way that you have absolutely no idea of right so i briefly want to get a little deeper into like the science aspect of this because mm. i think that's important uh just to provide some context um where does narrative come from why, why would this evolve why why would this mm. be our psychology why does this even make sense for sure. us to interpret reality this way yeah. And you can kind of think of the un the unconscious, the body, the sort of primordial aspect of our beings is far older yeah. than the conscious, yeah. than the ego. Yeah. And the unconscious, the body, has a story it lives out. Mm. Animals have stories they live out. Yeah. We can say that they're kind of mindless. We can say they're unconscious. But clearly, they have a trajectory in their lives. Oh, yeah. They are, they're seeking mates. Mm -hmm. They're seeking... Um, sometimes a social situation, right. a pack, yeah. they mm -hmm. are seeking, um, you know, food, resources, mm. yeah. all these things. They're driven to achieve these goals for some reason. They have, they have to make sense of their world somehow. Right. And so you could say the animals do live out some kind of story, but the evolution of consciousness and the ego in humans is unique because the story that the body knows, the body lives out, the ego is emerging and has to kind of interpret what the body is mm, doing. Right. Because part of what we've alluded to in past episodes is that something that the ego does is it tries to weave a narrative and make that narrative coherent. Yeah, cohesive, yeah. So whenever anything happens and there's sort of this dissonance mm. of like the ego is confronted with something that doesn't make sense to it, right. it'll try really hard to kind of push that away to maintain the narrative right to guide it moving along a path in a yes. stable way yeah and that's why people when we when we say that people are, are kind of over identifying with the ego or they're they're overly conscious or they're denying their unconscious self yeah they are in some sense trying to maintain a story that makes sense to them right and they really feel threatened by anything that that um seems to conflict with that story. Right, because the destruction of narratives is incredibly painful and uh, it's 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 feels overwhelming. It's destabilizing um, as we're trying to get at here because it it's it's a structure of reality. It helps us make sense of everything. And so when something comes, slamming into your life whether that's through an unconscious uh content or material kind of bubbling up to the surface or something externally you the, naturally the ego is going to try to you know shift the pieces back together so that the right. narrative stays cohesive right right so let's let's think about some examples of mm. this let's say the, the destruction of a narrative right so let's say that um you're an individual who is married yes 
and you have a job mm-hmm. that you go to every day to support your family, mm-hmm. um, you're living a narrative. And that narrative is that you have a happy family and a happy marriage and yeah. you're, you're suffering at your job perhaps because it's worth it. Right. You, you have a purpose. Mm. You're going to get old someday and die. Yeah. You want your children to be provided for. That's That hasn't happened yet. Right. But it's still part of your story. Right. You're still telling this yourself when you wake up in the morning. I have this story mm-hmm. and the story is going to end with me dying peacefully eventually and my children being provided for and they have children and their children have children. Mm. And that's my story. Yeah. And that's a powerful narrative to motivate you to do what you do. Right. To sacrifice. To sacrifice, to live live your life, to to suffer, to justify your suffering. Sure. And then let's say that you discover that your wife has been cheating on you for the last year. Yeah. It's like immediately your narrative, your story of your life is shattered. What do people say? My life is a lie. Right. Right? (laughs) I've been living a lie. I've been living a lie. And the response to this, this destruction of your narrative is super painful. Yeah. And people freak out. Yes. And the ego freaks out Mm -hmm. because it's trying to like, well, how can I make sense of what's happening? How can I reconstruct a narrative? Right. And it can't. Yeah. And so chaos pours in, your your, yes. your temple collapses yeah. on top of you. Yeah, and the that's, tower falls. Right, and that's the destruction of a narrative. Yeah. And this happens, hopefully gently, throughout <laughs> your lifetime, right? Something yeah. happens and you're like, oh, I was wrong, mm. or oh, my trajectory doesn't make sense, or, or whatever. Right, but, and that allows you to shift the narrative in a way that's a little bit more seamless, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel as threatening, to right. to the the, the framework uh, of your of your life, mm-hmm. but that's not how life goes sometimes. Right, you right. know. So the realization that your partner has been cheating on you, and all that you've been doing to to lift them up and support them, and the sacrifices you've been making, feel suddenly hollow and worthless. And you know, so much of your being, your understanding of life, what you were deriving meaning from came from that story that I am in a good relationship and we are a strong team Mm -hmm. and we're going to grow old together Yeah, because it's natural for us to, to want that security and to want that sense of, of, of knowing what's coming for us. And when that story is just thrown right out the window, yeah, it's it's incredibly hard for one to to be able to deal with it in, in the in the sort of immediate moment, mm-hmm. but also as one sort of looks to the future. I think that's part of the freak out too and the yeah. anxiety. It's just like, what the hell am I gonna do? Right. Yeah. Another example, maybe let's say a, a high school girl is a really promising athlete. Mm-hmm. Let's say she's like a really great basketball player. Sure. And she's gonna go to USC on scholarship, very mm-hmm. prestigious. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's her story. Yeah. That's her narrative. Maybe she's going to make it professionally as a basketball player eventually. Yeah. That's that's her story. She's she's pouring everything into that. Everything she does has meaning because of this narrative mm. that she has. Mm-hmm. When she gets out there and she practices every day, yeah. the reason she can justify practicing is because it's part of this this arc, this story yeah. of where her life is going, her her life trajectory. And you know, then she gets in a car accident mm. and is injured, can't play basketball ever again. Yeah. Her knee is shattered, let's say. You're right. That's destruction. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, that's physical destruction, yeah. but it's also it's it's the narrative destruction. Yes. Where it's like, okay, everything that you had planned out for your life, yeah, that's done now. Yeah. So now you need to somehow rewrite a new narrative. Yeah, and that's what I think is so compelling and interesting when narratives dissolve in our life because they are opportunities for us to 
pick up the pieces and create something else from it. And and it's there you're sort of hanging in this balance between like, is this going to completely destroy me or will I make my way through the darkness and intensity and scariness and find the light again? And for that young girl, it might be that because this happened, maybe um, her interest in creativity and art um, is reawakened, something right. she liked as a child but didn't really pursue because, you know, she focused on athletics and especially to that degree. And yeah. maybe for her life begins to unfold now, she's been sidelined um, from the team, but now she can cultivate, you know, being a painter and goes on to study painting and become an art teacher. And when she looks back, you know, 30 years later, she's like, I'm kind of grateful that that happened. Yeah. And that shows you how, you know, you can make something of the broken pieces of these narratives. You can kind of integrate the experience and allow it to show some other deeper part of yourself, um, deeper courage or insight or openness to to what else life has to offer after those narratives are shattered. Right. And that's, and that's really how life is for almost everyone. Yeah. There, there's... Um, <laughs> You, you have a story, you have a trajectory, you have yeah. something you're telling yourself. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. There's disintegration. Yes. And then there's reintegration. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so absolutely. the pieces fall down whenever yeah. your narrative collapses mm -hmm. and you freak out for a little bit because yeah. all you experience is like the, the flood or the yeah, flame, right. the, the absolute chaos, yeah. the, the idea of like everything's destroyed. Yeah. And then you have to rebuild yes. somehow. And that's actually hopefully you individuate, you become stronger, yes, you yes. actually find out who you are yes. through these disintegrations and yes. reintegrations. Yeah, the principle of individuation really can't happen when like everything is just going perfectly smooth. Mm -hmm. It's all about the conflict and the tensions and the collisions and when things are destroyed and need to be reworked or when we uh, regress back into ourself and, and deal with depressive episodes or anxiety or injuries or losses. All of these things somehow bring out some essence of human spirit that is yeah. incredibly powerful and and true and it's not to say like we we should all wish for terrible things in life but i think if if we're all being honest with ourselves hardship and challenge really does shape us into to better individuals right so um if someone fails to reconstruct their narrative mm. let's say that they, they they have a narrative and yeah. something happens that destroys it yeah it happens to everyone at some point. Sometimes it's a lot worse than other times. But this collapse of the narrative, this uh, this deconstruction of this arc in your life, we're we're charged with rebuilding it yes. somehow. Yeah. And if we if we cannot do that, if we fail to rebuild it, perhaps we don't have the energy to rebuild it. Yeah. Perhaps we've been leveled down so harshly, destroyed so deeply that we just do not have the energy to reconstruct a new narrative, mm -hmm. you get what we sometimes see, which is a form of nihilism. Sure. People who are broken. Sure. People who don't believe in anything anymore. Yeah. yeah. And nihilism, you know, is, 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 a, is a whole other topic. It's a, it's a complex thing to discuss, but it, it's not really, I think, a set of beliefs. I don't think it's really a rational position as much as it's an inability to construct a proper narrative. Mm. Usually after some other narrative has been destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. but you've been heartbroken in right. some way 
And this is something that I think happens more commonly than we want to admit. Mm. And especially nowadays, I think that it's a, a lot of people really struggle to make sense of their lives and make sense of the world because it's so confusing mm. and so depressing. Yeah. Um, you know, what's, what's the narrative of the human race? Right. You know, that's, that's, that's a real thing. Where are we going? Yeah. Some people have these very hopeful romantic utopian views of like this beautiful story of the human race eventually yeah. reaching the stars and exploring space or whatever. <laughs> and you know, that, that justifies you getting up out of bed in the morning. Right. That narrative gives you meaning yes. and you can make meaning out of everything you do. Yeah. Um, but the feeling of like, well, no, I mean the future of the human race is just, uh, you know, nuclear Holocaust. Mm. It's like that destroys people's narratives. Yeah. That's not, even though it's compelling in movies to like explore the, the, the idea of like apocalypse, it's like in reality, it's like the idea that that might happen or that's going to happen right. with climate change, what's there or something like that. That's destruction of a narrative. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you do not know how to rebuild it from that. Right. Cause meeting is stripped Right. and it feels hollow and it feels like what is like, what's worth living for then mm-hmm. I'll just do whatever I want. Or maybe I'll just sort of float through kind of in this limbo of, you know, life is overwhelming and, and yet it means nothing at the same time. Right. And, and it, it collapses down into, into, you, you can't get rid of narrative, but like it will collapse down into a lower shallower narrative, mm. which is like, what's my arc? Um, it's looking at pornography and playing video games, mm, basically. Right, yeah, escapism. Escapism. Yeah. Um, it's getting drunk. Sure, sure. Um, my narrative is that, like, tonight I'm just going to get really high. Right. And these are still narratives. These are sure. still stories. You can yeah. still make sense of them. But they don't have this deeper, more meta arc sure. of life of, like, I'm going to be heroic. I'm yeah. going to go out there and achieve something great and meet someone special and mm-hmm. create a, a new life form and they shall live on beyond me into the future. Right. And like that is more of a, a meta narrative that provides deep meaning. Yeah. I think trauma is also something that is a byproduct of the, the destruction of narratives when we aren't able to integrate and mm-hmm. we aren't, uh, we struggle to really sort of build up a new narrative or alternatively, the narrative that we're carrying with us is one of, pain and anguish that the world is a bad and violent place that Mm. becomes the the main narrative and you're kind of walking through the world constantly on edge Mm -hmm. um so i think you know for a very young individual who goes through a traumatic situation the destruction of the myth of the family is something that might might Mm. never be rebuilt certainly um because it's it's so broken, it's so fundamentally um, kind of just lost its meaning that they grow up kind of feeling like, well, I never really want to put myself out there. Right. I don't want to have my own family. Right. I don't want to go through that. Right. Oh, I've heard the story of the family. It's a lie. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That story's yeah, a lie. Right. Right. That, you know, you get very cynical yeah, in that way. Cynical. And, and the narrative. We think of all stories as being like fictional, but that's not true. Yeah. Like our, our lives are real stories. And the idea that a certain story of life is just a fiction right. is what really causes people to become very cynical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like I said, the other alternative really is that like the narrative that's taken hold and is charging forward is one where um, maybe it's like a victim mentality or one where you're 
incredibly harsh on yourself. You mm-hmm. kind of walk through life feeling like I'm a bad person, right, right. Or sh- guilt or shame or something like that's a deeply powerful narrative mm-hmm. that can grip you and just color the world and experiences in this way that is you know, if you looked at it objectively, it's totally not true. Right, right. You can you can perpetuate a false narrative within yes. yourself. Yes. And, and and we see this as something that um, a lot of people struggle with. Why they go to therapy? Yeah. They they have a they have a narrative that they're perpetuating about their yeah. own lives. Yeah. Maybe that they're not worthwhile. They're yeah. not valuable. Right. They don't deserve any love. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what I think is really interesting to um, point out about these these kinds of narratives is they're not rational right mm-hmm. we, we don't th- we kind of yeah. think of this as like if if you've been traumatized and you find it difficult to get close to anyone now yeah it can be easy to think oh well that's just a belief mm-hmm. you have you mm-hmm. believe that you can't get close to anyone it's yeah. like no, no no it's far deeper than yeah, that yeah absolutely these, these are this is embodied yeah this is this is this is ingrained mm-hmm. in the body this yes. is like an embodied narrative yeah your body knows the story yes and the story that the body is perpetuating is people are dangerous yes and you can't just sit someone down and be like you know what your story like it's not true doesn't make sense <laughs> okay got it all right yeah. now you're good it's yeah. like we think that works but then we try and it doesn't work mm. there that's what therapy is it's, it's just appealing to the body's narrative yeah the, the body's story mm-hmm. the way that the body is interpreting reality constructing yeah. an arc for you yeah. which is just avoid people at all costs right yeah and it takes so much courage to face that and and know that it's time to rework and rewrite that narrative because it's threatening and i think that's why sometimes people have like a semi-conscious acknowledgement of all their bad habits or their 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 the beliefs that make up you know the that narrative but it's almost more difficult to face it truly and 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 be open to all the pain that's embedded in that narrative because that's what you truly have to do to be able to shift it and change it you have to re-experience it you have to uh maybe forgive you know some of the characters who are part of that story forgive yourself um kind of open up that chamber of vulnerability again and that's hard and scary and anxiety inducing and someone might choose you know the the wounded narrative instead to live. Okay, so to get a little deeper into this idea of the personal myth, uh, me and Alyssa are going to discuss our personal myths mm. not that these are concrete or written out yeah. in some sense but uh, there, there's a way that we orient ourselves towards reality there's mm. a way that we process information there's sort of a a, uh, an, a narrative that we adhere to as far as what is our story yeah and that can be kind of confusing and vague like what does that even mean <laughs> so we're going to try to get a little more um uh, a little more precise yeah in, what we're even talking about and uh so if if i think of myself as an individual and my story where i've come from where i'm going um the way that i respond to events the way that i respond to people the way i see myself in groups um there's definitely this feeling of 
outsider. Mm. There's feeling of um, the sort of solo person that's kind of on the um, periphery of groups. Yeah. Someone who's social, but someone who kind of plays this strange um, outsider role. Yeah. Kind of. The kind satellite. Of the satellite or like sort of like the hermit who, mm. who kind of comes and goes. Um, there's definitely a way that I think of myself as being sort of a protector mm. or savior. Yeah. Um, I clearly want that. I clearly find opportunities to sort of be someone who can protect people or save people. Yeah. Um, there's also sort of these aspects that kind of, again, sort of think about this like sort of mythologically. Um, um, I see myself as, uh, as very heroic mm. in some sense mm-hmm. as, as being someone who's very self-sacrificial. Yeah. And I, I often find myself approaching situations that way as yeah. being someone who's willing to step forward and take charge. Yeah. Someone who's willing to kind of take risk, someone who's willing to kind of be the one who supports other people. Mm. Um, and I, I know that's like kind of sounds like silly and, and pretentious, but I think that like a lot of guys like kind of have this experience. Like, I find myself often like fantasizing or even dreaming about being heroic. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'll find myself fantasizing about let's say uh, if this house that we're in right now caught on fire. I've, I, I had this thought like, a few weeks ago, and I was like just daydreaming about myself rushing in to like rescue whoever was in the house yeah. still, and thinking of like it's almost like you're like, like it's a positive like image. Like it's like a cool compelling story and you're like, yeah, I'd be the person who goes in and risks his life to save someone else. Wow. That'd be so cool. Well, from that Jungian perspective, like daydreams like that are reflections of like this unconscious material that's sort of bubbling up and it's, and what does that show you? And what does it tell um, yourself, you know, about some true aspect of your being. It's like, oh, we could just write it off. Like, eh, I just had this kind of stupid idea and, right. you know, but it moved you, right? It felt there was, there was some essence to it. It had right. some energy to mm-hmm. it and, and it's expressing a part of you. Right. There's, there's other fantasies that like, and, and these just crop up. Like, again, it's not very rational. You just sort mm-hmm. of, I just find myself thinking about these. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, let's say there's like a mass shooting you hear about in the news. Yeah. And I find myself fantasizing about if there were a mass shooter where I was, if I was at the grocery store mm-hmm. and I'm fantasizing about myself tackling the mass shooter yeah. and like maybe even getting shot while I do. Yeah. And there's something about that of like, I wish I could just do like something really good to save people. Yeah. I wish I could be the protector. Like I wish I could be that, like that person who just like sacrifices himself for like the good, yeah. like the other people who I like, can't protect themselves. Mm. And then I realize I'm thinking about it. Mm. I'm like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> like, why am I fantasizing about like taking out a mass shooter? Yeah. And it's like, there's something about that story because yeah. that's what it is. It's a story that resonates with me. Yeah. And it clearly points to like the core of my being. Yeah. Like this is how I interpret my life. Yeah. And then you can see how that is disseminated into practical reality by mm. the actions you take, the way that you talk to people, the relationships you have. And you start to realize that that core narrative is fueling all of these parts of yourself. And so can you be more in alignment with it? Or there are times that you're over identifying with it or right. et cetera, et cetera. And that's helpful in understanding who you are, yeah. why you do what you do. So my turn, I guess. Yeah, how about you? Um, I, I think the first couple of things that come to mind is uh, 
the nurturer, this desire for uh, community, the pack, this feeling that I've, has always driven me of, of being with people, um, but not just, you know, sort of being a part of the crowd, wanting to hold that space or to provide, um, to, um, to, to give a part of myself because kind of understanding that there's this, this give and take. Um, so wanting to extend these parts of my being, um, in hopes that others see that and give back to me too. And that creates this like cycle of really just like a powerful energy and, and union with people. Um, and I think it drives a lot of what I do. And it's driven times in my life when I've felt a lot of despair as mm-hmm. well, when that feeling of that communal nurturance may be uh, lost um, or fractured in some way, kind of makes it life almost feel like it's not worth living. Yeah. Um, so a desire for me to be with like a, a, a meaningful group of people, um, mm-hmm. feeling very called to that and, and the role that I play in it. Um, I think a lot also about the wounded healer, which to me kind of comes from the reflection of the wounded child, Mm -hmm. which I think is a really big part of my narrative and probably a lot of others out there too. Um, and sort of taking that experience of pain and difficulty and challenge that started at a very young age and, um, kind of being liberated by it, I guess, because it's like an initiation into harsh realities of life Mm -hmm. and then thus wanting to kind of turn towards other people and help them through that to bring meaning, um, to bring balance back, you know, to the the force of their life. Um, So that wounded healer is certainly something that really drives me and it's kind of a, a, a big core part of how I work with individuals um, is wanting to come from that place. So some exercises that we do sometimes to kind of explore these ideas of the narrative and, mm-hmm. and you know, this is, this is shadow work that you could do yeah. on your own as well. Yeah. Um, there's infinite variation on this kind of theme, but we're talking a little bit about journeying, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And journeying is sort of this notion of entering the metaphorical or mythological world, yeah. let's say, and seeing what comes to you. Yeah. And maybe you can talk a little more about what that is. Yeah. That, um, like. You know, we're, we're kind of stepping into the realm of active imagination, which is all about kind of diving deep into these contents, fantasies, dream images, um, all of these things that kind of bubble up to the surface or things that feel very deep and meaningful and multi-layered mm-hmm. and starting to work with it in a conscious way. You're in a, a, a conscious awake state. And so journeying and active imagination is a form of a, of a kind of uh, conscious meditation, one might say. Um, where you kind of enter into a story or you kind of set yourself up for, for some sort of interaction. And right. classically with active imagination, you might use the daydream material mm. and actually hold that image of the fire bursting in the house right. and kind of sitting there holding that in your mind's eye and then allowing it to play out. And because what we're doing is we're interacting with unconscious contents and actually, you know, allowing the daydream to continue to unfold and we're sort of interacting with it in a way that we're kind of moving through it but we're not fully controlling it which Mm -hmm. is to say you know we haven't completely written the story but we're interacting with it as it's happening 
And this process actually can reveal things to you that you're actually kind of surprised of, um, or you might start to feel quite an emotional shift or a lot of things coming up for you. Um, so it's a way of tapping into these, these narrative structures so that you can kind of gain some insight about yourself. Right. So one, one example of how I might do this and the, uh, the way I do this kind of varies from the way it does it because mm-hmm. of our different personalities, I would say, but, um, I might try to get into a meditative state sort of and think about the house that's on fire yeah and i find myself there Mm -hmm. and there's sort of you know it's a it's a it's a mythological version of me it's it's a it's a story that i'm sort of entering into and um you know i think what happens next house is on fire yeah um is there are there any tools around me Mm -hmm. and uh um i'll come up with some idea where uh yeah, there's um, some special shoes mm. and I put them on and the shoes allow me to jump really far and um, I jump through the window and inside there is a little boy mm. and the little boy is cowering in the corner and, you know, I try to imagine the little boy is me yeah. and I'm saving myself from the fire. Yeah. And, um, you know, this sounds kind of strange perhaps at first, but it's it's I'm interpreting my life metaphorically right my life is a burning building Mm. let's say the child on the floor is me Mm. the story is that a stronger more heroic version of me leaps in and saves the weaker younger version of me yeah and when i do something like this it if if i can get into the right state of mind it usually makes me incredibly emotional yeah and i start crying yeah and you have to ask, well, what is happening? How, how can you get so, how can you make yourself start crying through this weird weird process? Right. Because if we were just like sitting on the couch talking yeah. and you were just telling the story, mm-hmm. you wouldn't get emotional. Right. You're, you're like a shifting consciousness into a different state mm-hmm. and you're allowing something much deeper and intrinsic um, to come forward, which to me is right. like the invitation of the unconscious. Right. And that's being met with the ego and it's incredibly powerful. Right, so I'm I'm trying to wet the unconscious birth these images. Yeah, right, exactly. What, what happens next? I'm trying to wet. I'm just trying to feel what happens next. I'm not trying to think about it too much. Yes. It's impossible for me to completely turn off the ego, right. turn off consciousness. Right. But the idea of what happens next, it's like, well, I scoop up the child, and then it's like, and then what? And it's like, and then the whole room collapses on top of me. Yeah. And then what? And it's like my back is burning, but the child is safe. Mm. And it's like that makes me emotional yeah it's like why it's like because somehow you're sort of mythologizing your experience which is that you're burning to death maybe or maybe just your back is burning and that's symbolic in some way it's the side of you that you don't see or is kind of hidden from people Mm. or um but my inner child is safe Mm. and my inner child it feels unsafe yeah so doing this sort of exercise this journeying exercise you might say or this like self mythologizing exercise um it taps into the unconscious in some way and the emotions pour forth pour uh, pour forth that sounds really weird (laughs) um and that's what's so interesting about it yeah is is you are channeling something that you don't channel in conscious waking life normally yeah and you know when you began this this sort of journey um 
you know, you might not have known who you were trying to save. And as mm. you jumped into that window and you saw the young boy, mm. you, you have that moment that like, that is like, oh my God, that's me. Yeah. That's like seven year old me. And that yeah. brings up so much for you. And it opens up more layers of emotional depth and experience. And, mm. and that's what's so interesting about the technique um, and doing this type of shadow work is that it shows you parts of yourself that are needing to come forward and then you have the opportunity afterwards to journal about it and integrate the experience, understand the emotional dynamics, the affect that came up and, and really ask yourself why this story was so meaningful to you. Yeah. So you can do this, find, find some sort of setting that calls forth to you. Uh, imagine yourself mythologically, mm. maybe you're a knight for yeah. some reason, maybe, yeah. maybe you associate with that strongly, maybe you're, um, a dog, if that for some reason resonates with you, but you're sure. a wolf, yeah, something like that, and um, try to write a story that is your life. What what is happening in your life? Where have you been? Where are you going? What's the arc? Mm. Um, and if you can get into the right meditative state, you'll be very intrigued by what comes forth. Yeah, what what story you write without realizing that that's your story. Mm. And this exercise is again, it's infinite and go in all kinds of directions. You, you know, for, for, for my story, uh, let's say the, the fire is going to threaten the entire city. So I absorb all the fire into my being by breathing in and I explode and mm. everyone's safe though. I die, yeah. but everyone's safe. It's like, well, that's ridiculous. It's like, well, it's, it can be anything. Yeah. It's just a story. Yeah. Anything can happen and you'd yeah. be surprised at where it takes you. And that's, uh, how it ties in this whole idea of personal myth mm. is that you have a personal myth, you can explore it, but the best way to explore it is through symbolism, yes, archetypes, yeah, metaphor, the metaphorical mm -hmm. world, as opposed to literally trying to write down your autobiography. Right. You'll find that it actually isn't as useful yeah. in getting into who you really are. Yeah. All right, we have a dream submitted for analysis from a member of our audience. This is from an 18-year-old female, and here's the dream. A boy who lives in a different state than me flew out to live with me. My best friend happened to live with me in my house. On arrival, he gave my friend a huge hug. He didn't hug me since my parents were closely watching our interactions. We go to the grocery store and ran into a girl. She invited us to sit. An old man with a long beard and tattered clothes sat with us and said he will help us find what we can do with our lives. After giving him our info, he left and we found that he was a scammer. We drove back home only to find a giant but skinny polar bear blocking our way. Hmm. There's so many interesting symbolic images in this dream. Yeah, it's, a, it's a good dream. It's a very good dream. Mm -hmm. Thank you for submitting it. Um, when I was looking the stream over, uh, the main themes that were cropping up for me is the feeling of uh, initiation from youth into adulthood. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm taking note of the dreamer's age that there were parents in the dream right. that kind of had this feeling of restriction or limitation. 
Um, so starting out with the beginning of the dream, we're looking at this boy who's come to visit and the interactions happening with her friend and the boy. And not that I think there's necessarily romantic undertones here. Maybe there is. I don't know. Mm. But there, there's there's definitely something about a boy entering a young girl's life sure. that, that brings her into deeper yeah, deeper right. consciousness in some sense. Yes. And even if this isn't romantic per se, it's still the presence, the masculine, the young masculine presence indicates some sort of coming of age. Yeah, absolutely. Or th- that which really um, enlivens a sense of, of of action and ability to sort of take in control. It can This boy could be a reflection of her own masculine energy, which, you know, might be more externally driven, taking more control, just feeling um, a, a bit more active versus like the more... Um, passive flexible feminine element and so we're watching her the dream ego sort of see this dynamic happening between the guy and the friend and the parents watching over and so i'd really be interested to know what the dynamic is for her is she living at home does she feel limited is she feeling like she's kind of ready to like grow into her own person into adulthood and they're are these limits, these ceilings that she's running into that just are, are feeling um, like they're trapping her? Yeah. Um, and and certainly, what are the qualities of this individual, this guy who's who in real life, you know, he's the container of some sort of experience, of some representation for her. Right. He's from a different state, yeah. which makes it easier to kind of romanticize him yeah, or, or think totally. of him as being someone with this mysterious potential. Who is he really? Um, yeah. He's not the next door boy that she's known her entire life. Right. He, he, he comes from some far off land, yeah. perhaps. Interest, intrigue, things Interest, like that. Yeah, and then the the parents watching, and she cannot move forward yeah. to um, engage with this masculine energy because yeah. her parents are there. Yeah, and they're not violently opposing anything, sure. but but the energy is there that she feels like she cannot. Um, move forward and uh, into adulthood perhaps, yeah, perhaps because yeah. of this. And it could be on the one hand a romantic dynamic. Maybe she feels uh, like she doesn't know how to express her desire to want to be more of a woman and mm-hmm. be in relationship with uh, you know other men and, and grow in that way. It might also represent her desire to want to have more of that authority in yeah. her life and more of her own personal structure and that's feeling limited or maybe it's just the tension between letting go of this old chapter as you enter into the new one mm-hmm. um the next scene's really interesting to me with the grocery store and there's some girl um who kind of draws her in to meeting this old man mm. and um immediately i'm thinking about the archetype of uh of the cenix which is the wise old man right. you know he's got the tattered clothes and the long beard mm-hmm. he's there to like help guide them towards understanding their their life purpose and all of these things so that's very archetypal yeah. um and what i find you know compelling about this is that at the end of it he was a scammer and my my instinct is like i don't i don't know if i believe that and what i mean by that is that i think the dream ego uh feels threatened 
by sure. the initiation because sure. the old man, the Senex, um, he's a guide. He's trying to draw. It's like some higher part of yourself, especially because we're dealing with a young masculine figure mm -hmm. and a mature masculine figure, right. which could be very much part of like the same yin and yang, yeah. something that's trying to drive her her growth and mm -hmm. her, her energy forward. And maybe there's resistance to it. Maybe it's not feeling like the right time. And often in dreams, we see things that feel wrong or, you know, bad or violent or even um, like an illusion. And really symbolically, that represents that you yourself in waking life uh, haven't embraced that fully. So right. it feels negative in the dream. Right. So there's, as you said, there's two masculine energies. There's yeah. one young, one old. Yes. The young masculine energy seems... Uh, promising. There's something mm -hmm. that's intriguing about it. It calms her in. And so she's coming of age. Perhaps yeah. she's coming into adulthood um, due to this masculine energy entering her life. But then mm. the older masculine energy perhaps is too far. Yeah. And she's playing with sort of moving forward, mm. walking through this gateway yeah. into womanhood. But the, the older masculine energy is saying, okay, well, now this will be the rest of your life. And yeah. Um, this is where you're going and this is what you'll become. And, yeah. and perhaps it's just like, well, too much. Yeah. Yeah. Too I just, scary. I just wanted to step a foot in and uh, test the water. Right. And now I sort of feel like I'm falling in and it's like, it's just a scam. Like it's, yeah, just, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not real. Exactly. So this, kind of, this kind of response of a pushback. Yeah. Pushback that, from that, that deeper, older masculine energy. Yes. Something that's trying to drive her towards uh, maturation. And this is probably... Hopefully the beginning or maybe part of a series of symbolic figures that are mm -hmm. trying to guide her towards knowing herself to, to yeah. constructing her personal myth, right? Mm -hmm. Who am I? What am I supposed to do with my life? There's a, a higher part of yourself that's driving that myth and wants you to know who you are. And right now that's threatening to an 18 year old just like, I just want to have fun. I don't want to think about that kind of stuff, um, which I guess leads me to the polar bear. Mm -hmm. um, I think often of animals as instinctual primordial energy uh, deep unconscious parts of ourself and it's starved and weakened something deep within her needs to be fed yeah. and she mentions in her form um, that the tone of the dream really shifted once she saw the polar bear right. that's something we want to pay attention to those feeling shifts and that she felt anxiety and a sort of intensity and when she woke up that's what the feeling she woke up with mm. so something's trying to grab her intention and um, right. something needs to be fed here and again there's there's a, there's just entering this um you know you might say liminal transitionary mm, yes. space of of coming into womanhood perhaps yeah. and then there's a feeling of going too far yeah. with the older masculine energy and then mm. she wants to go back mm. and return to to being a kid perhaps right. so she dives back too hard and tries to go home yeah and when she get, gets home she finds that she can't yeah and there's that freak out yeah. of like i went too far yeah i i grew up and now i i can't go back to being mm. a kid and um the beast the polar bear, especially out of place, um, huge, but yeah. also skinny, starving, yeah. unhealthy. Mm. There's um, perhaps a, a worry that she is stranded somewhere mm. that where she doesn't have resources, where yeah. she won't find what she needs and she'll be starving soon as yeah. well. Um, yeah. So Th this, transition. Yeah, transition. Growth, coming of age. Yeah. It, there's really these broad strokes of self-discovery. And so I think that this is a really compelling dream. And I hope that um, the dreamer holds that more and really lets it unfold because dreams will continue to sort of reveal new insights and I think that there's a lot here for her to unpack Do you have a question for us? Do you have a dream you'd like us to analyze? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover? We want to hear from you 
Contact us through a submission form, which can be found on our Instagram page at Golden Shadow Podcast. Or if you're listening on YouTube, you can find the link in the description down below. Thanks for listening. See you later. If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash golden shadow podcast. Thank you.